Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking to the Arizona Republic's media critic, Bill Goody Coons. Bill joins us today to talk about media coverage of the 2020 election. Bill, thanks so much for joining us today. Let's go ahead and start with the big picture first and sort of address the term the media. The media is a pretty big blanket term. It includes everything from social media, to 24-hour news networks, to newspapers like our own. What separates news organizations like ours from other forms of media? I I think first there's, and thank you guys for having me, by the way, Uh, big fan of the podcast. Uh, um, There's no one overarching media. I mean, it's just sort of catch-all phrase for everybody to hate us, I think. Uh, but Paul Fari of the Washington Post in 2016 after the election, he wrote this great column about it. And it's 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 not – as you guys know, it's not like there's this big national conference call among people who write about this stuff where there's uh, – you know, we all decide at every newspaper and every TV station, this is who we're going after today or something. I mean it's, just, it's it doesn't work that way. There's a lot of disagreement about coverage and about everything else inside newsrooms and there should be. I mean – but the, the tricky thing now is that so there's so many de- disreputable outlets that, that really work hard to appear legitimate. And I mean, you can, you know, in five minutes, you can trick up a website to look pretty much like the New York Times. It's, it's not that hard to do. Um, but they it's working. And that, that to me is what I think is the scary thing. And the reason it's working isn't just because they're good at it. They are at putting out false information. But people want that information. We're, we're sort of now working with this two sets of fact era. You know, whether it's, whether it's Breitbart or the Epoch Times or Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson, there's, there's these real loons out there, and, and audiences want to believe them. Uh, and to me, I think that that's not – that isn't just weird to me. That's scary, and I think it's bad for all legitimate media. So, Bill, talk to us about what – how discerning you think the audiences are for these these kinds of news outlets? Do they do you think the public as a whole sort of understands with any uh, clarity the difference between opinion shows like Sean Hannity or uh, programs that come from a clearly conservative vantage point, uh, even on news? Um, how clear do you think the public understands that? And do they see, for example, on the left uh, from MSNBC as, you know, being equivalent uh, in its way? Oh, I've no, no, no. I, I don't I don't think they understand it at all. I and, and I'm not, I don't blame them for that, by the way. I, I think that a, a place like Fox News, which has a for the most part, a fairly legitimate news reporting arm. I mean, I've written this many times. I think that when it comes to big stories, you know, a natural disaster or 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 a school shooting or some big story, whether it's Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, they all do pretty much the same 
kind of coverage, and they all do it really well. That's it's tough. It's hard to do that, but it's of course when you get into the sort of punditry that that, that things really separate, and I. Th- it's hard for people to understand that, and I don't blame them. The same way that it's hard for people to understand, a, you know, an opinion column that I would write from a straight news story. Uh, they they kind of you know they look the same. They got headlines on them and all that stuff. I mean, and I think that like Fox News, Tucker Carlson's set does not look wholly different from Brett Bear Bear's set. I mean, it 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 all kind of looks the same. Um. But I, I feel like the legitimate media, we, we haven't always helped ourselves either. I, I, they, you, what I like to think is we're just kind of out there doing our job the way that we're supposed to. But that's that has obviously not always been the case. I mean, think of CNN in 2016 with cameras for a half an hour on an empty lectern, you know, waiting for Trump to come out because he was so good to their ratings. And it, it, what stories didn't we get because we're sitting there watching a microphone, you know, Um we're and also we we're used to believing this sort of two sides to every story thing. I mean, it's sort of how you come up, and you know, and, it, and it's important. It's 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 it is legitimate. But when the president lies, according to the Washington Post, more than twenty thousand times in four years, the the norms don't exist anymore. It's it's not what we're used to, and I think too often media try to create this false equivalency. You know that that you know, well. Trump says that he won the election, but, you know, and well, no, he lost. Uh, and, and I think that we can say that he lost. And if you can add, you know, my kids in high school math can add better than I can, that they can tell you that he lost. We need to dispense with the false equivalency. A lie is a lie, is a lie, is a lie. And it doesn't matter if the president tells it, and it doesn't matter if the governor tells it. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you guys or I tell it. You need to be called out on it. There was a lot of criticism of how mainstream media outlets covered the presidential election in 2016, and you've kind of alluded to some of that. Some people felt as though the media sort of dismissed Donald Trump and didn't take his style of politics seriously enough. Um, Others thought that the media was much too reliant on polling numbers that proved to be vastly incorrect. Were the same problems in play this cycle? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, I think that both both of the, one of the reasons those criticisms existed in 2016 is because they were true, by the way. Um, the uh, but it, it just seemed in 2016 impossible to believe that Trump would win. It, it just did. I mean, and even supposedly, if you can believe all the, the stories that came later, even he didn't think he was going to win. Uh, so, I mean, I think that that caught caught a lot of people by surprise. There was not, by the way, any crying in our newsroom that night. I've, I've written about that as well because we were too busy uh, trying to to write this story that, that surprised all of us, I think. Um, but the uh, I do think that this time the media, at least we knew what was possible. You know, we were a little more wary. We were, we were a little ready. There's still an over-reliance on polls. But those stories end up, I think that they get more importance than they're actually worth. I mean, there's only one poll in the end that matters, and that's the, the, the election, right? I mean, that's, that's the only one that actually counts. Of course, now we have people trying to act like that one doesn't count, but it actually does. I think that the, the, the bigger problem is that the journalists aren't bookies. I mean, it's, it's, it is not our job to predict who wins elections. 
it's it's our job to report on and offer opinions and whatever else about about the campaign and about the candidates and about the developments that happened during the campaign. And again, I mean, if one candidate is lying through his teeth every chance he gets and the other one isn't, that is not a two sides to every story story. Uh, but it doesn't also doesn't mean it's an invitation to predict the outcome. I get I hear feedback from a lot of, re- of readers, as I'm sure you do, that if I write something negative about Trump, they believe that I am somehow actually actively working for Joe Biden, like that that's like that I'm that somehow that is part of my job to help Joe Biden get elected. And I kept writing again. I said, like, I don't care who you vote for. I vote wherever you want to. I I'm just trying to say what's going on, and it's it. It's tough because people really have a sort of uh, a twisted view of how media works. I have relatives who think that there are these big media conspiracies and all that. And I used to tell him, my brother in particular one, and I would tell him, it's all we can do to get the paper out every day. We, we, we don't have the time or the inclination to – you know, for these grand conspiracies that you think that we have. And it's, we just don't. I mean, we're just doing our jobs. Okay, so let's be specific and current to 2020 as far as the media and how they did their jobs. Specifically, you've written about uh, the debates uh, that were held ahead of this year's presidential election. The first one, hosted by Fox News' Chris Wallace, was really sort of marked with the, uh, the constant interruptions, the talking over each other, the, the bickering back and forth, and just the general tone of it seemed to be unpresidential to uh, the eyes of many Americans. The second one, hosted by Kristen Welker of NBC News, um, included a provision to allow mics to be muted. Um, it was a, a much more traditional debate, I think, to, um, to characterize it. Um, but how much did the run-up to that and just sort of the, uh, the backdrop of the way those debates unfolded affect the way that people might have viewed the candidates themselves and is that a fair thing? Did the media needlessly inject itself into this debate, or was it uh, properly trying to be the referee? I I don't think that the. I mean, it it is a story when when one of the candidates for the president of the United States, literally, and I know I know what literally means. I don't use that word lightly. When he literally cannot answer questions. That's a story. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's a bigger story than whatever the answers are. You know what the answers are going to be. I, I mean, I I don't think I, I don't think that the I'm hoping that this debate will be unlike any other. I, you know, I kind of hope that this campaign will be unlike any other. I mean, if you take the first debate if, as a media critic, that was fantastic to write about because it was fascinating and it was unheard of. I mean, the, you know, the, but but it's also one of those things that even when you're writing it, and maybe you guys have this too sometimes, you're sitting there writing it and you're thinking, you know, this is a great story. It's also really bad for the country. Um, it just, you know, it, and you kind of have to, the two things sort of exist at the same time. But I don't think, I mean, presidential debates aren't a big deciding factor anymore anyway. And, and I'd love to meet those, the so-called undecided voters 
that I think are basically unicorns who, who, who want this media attention. I kept running out of ways to describe them uh, of like, you know, these sort of non-existent things that the, the media basically believes exist, but nobody else seems to. Uh, but I mean, just the, the, the disregard for any kind of civility was stunning. I mean, and this sounds like a cliche, but, but my kids watched the first debate, right? And maybe they're weird kids because they watch debates. Or maybe they have just given up on any sort of normal life because of me. I don't know. But well, what am I supposed to say to them? The most powerful person in the world is behaving in a way that I would punish them for. You know, nobody's punishing him. I mean, Chris Wallace is kind of sort of, you know, Chris Wallace, a fairly tough interviewer, is getting walked all over. I mean, it's just, it's an anomaly, I think, I hope. And as you say, I mean, by the time we got to Welker, there were some things in place, and she was great, by the way, uh, that that sort of limited his, <laughs> what, what, what do you want to call it, rudeness, uh, his incivility, uh, his toddler-like behavior. I don't know. They kind of ran out of ways to describe that, too. So, On election night, President Trump went on TV in the middle of the night to falsely declare himself the winner. Many networks didn't cut away from that press conference where Vice President uh, Mike Pence stood alongside him. And a few days later, the president held a press conference in which he alleged unfounded claims of voter fraud, and he maintained that he was the victor. This time, networks did begin to cut away, and that includes um, our network, the USA Today Network, which chose not to continue to live stream unfounded claims. Cutting away from those sorts of um, news events seems to be progress, but is it enough, do you think? I mean, honestly, I don't know what else they can do in the moment. Uh, They, you know, you could not, I suppose you could not air it at all. Uh, There's an argument to be made that you should show it anyway, just to have it on the record just to have the president of the United States making these false and dangerous claims. Uh, and I've actually made that argument. I, I made that. I started making that argument during the COVID briefings. There's also an argument to be made that, that it's dangerous to the country and to democracy to keep showing it, and I've actually made that argument as well. Um, my, my thinking, I like to think, evolved over time. I, I hope I'm not just contradicting myself. My, my thinking on it sort of evolved over time. Uh, it's just, I mean, at some point, enough is enough. At some point, you, the media, if you're not in some way preventing the spread of these lies, I mean, at some point, it's you're abetting what is the full-on attack on democracy at this point. I mean, this, the, you know, with the COVID briefings, it, it cost people, from all that we can tell, their lives. And, and now it, they're trying to cost somebody an election. I just don't know any other way to put it other than that it's just – it's an attack and the media should not be complicit in that. It is tricky. Somebody's got – I mean what I've sort of come around to is cover it but don't just air the thing live. Of course cover it. You have to know what he says. But you don't have – there's no – I mean every time Obama gave a briefing, you know, a briefing – the the TV networks didn't cover them live. It had to be some big event that that warranted it. Why they insisted on, you know, every time the light came on, giving Trump basically free free airtime. I would like to say I don't know why they do that. I actually do. The answer is always money. 
Um, he's good for ratings. Okay, so the election is behind us, even if not everyone agrees on that. Um, give us some grades on how you think the media did um, in covering this, in fact-checking the president, in trying to uh, serve as a filter against disinformation and, and uh, separating innuendo from fact. Uh, how, how do you think the, the, the television networks, the traditional print media and online did, and how did the social media platforms that uh, have gained so much attention, how do you think everyone did sort of uh, separately on that? Well, I think we did a good job. Um, <laughs> the, um, uh, no, I, I think that uh, in general, uh, legitimate media uh, did a pretty good job. In one case in particular, with one thing in particular, everybody did a good job of warning people that this was not going to be over in a night. I, I think that they um, that, that that became a real focus for the networks because we are so used to uh, – I mean if you live on the East Coast, it, it almost never gets called on election night anyway. But, um, but they, they, they really prime people to be ready for that, to, uh, to be paying attention to that. Um, the uh, – the, 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 unfortunately, I, th I think the the less legitimate media did a really good job as well, um, and they uh, giving voice to uh, uh, to these bizarre theories that you know that, that votes were switched and and because you found two votes for Trump out in the mailbox in Avondale somewhere that's going to swing the election or something. I mean, you know, you, I think we just have to be careful how we 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 cover that stuff. And how much legitimacy we give them. Uh, I, I think that the networks are getting better about all this. I'm, when Fox News calls Joe Biden the president-elect, that means something. Uh, the, the, they, they are, for better and often for worse, the sort of bellwether of, of how a big chunk of an audience is, is going to be part of that. I mean the, the, their primetime hosts are still – they're going to they're hold on to election fraud until they drag Trump kicking and streaming out of the White House. Uh, you know, I mean it's just not going to – I don't think they're going to come around on that. But I think the, the larger point is important. Biden won the election. And if electors do what they're bound to do, there is no way that Trump can win. So why would you enable that, that fantasy in any way? It's, it's, it's like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. You know, so you're saying there's a chance. No, there is no chance. <laughs> there, 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 there just isn't. And I think it's essential that the media make that clear. Uh, these lawsuits are some sort of performative fantasy. I mean, yes, watching – Rudy Giuliani flailing up in a courtroom is entertaining television. But again, it's horrible for the country. Um, they're just delaying a peaceful transition, which is now more than ever with COVID, it's, it's critical. And we need to – I think that we, we have to continue to remind people of that over and over and over again. And I think that we are – I think that media did a pretty good job on the election uh, because we were ready for it and because we prepared people for it. What you can't prepare people for are just claims so bizarre that they're hard to describe. So let's look ahead a little bit. Um, media options as a whole continue to evolve. We have, for instance, Parler. This is the social media platform. It's kind of similar to, to Twitter. And it's geared towards conservatives who are frustrated with Twitter. Um, 
we have found a lot of Arizonans on Parler, everyone from Governor Doug Ducey to Congressman Paul Gosar and Andy Biggs. We have the uh, Arizona Republican Chair Kelly Ward, um, who peddles in conspiracy theories, much like the congressman. Uh, They all have accounts on Twitter. And generally, this is a platform used by people who feel as though Twitter and Facebook unfairly censors their content. There's also the One America Network, which is a far-right version, very far-right version of Fox News. Um, Should we expect to see this sort of growth of polarized media to continue? And if so, because I presume your answer will be yes, What does that mean for news consumers as well as traditional sort of media organizations and facts and science and data? What does this all mean for for these things? (sighs) Nothing good. Um, And and don't don't discount the fact that Trump may get into the media game as well uh, when he's out of office, although people much smarter than than I am think that he would try to la- he wouldn't start his own because it's too much work and it's the 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 it's just too hard it's the 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 risk of failure is too great even if you know what you're doing uh that he'd probably latch onto something that exists i mean i'm sure you two get the same thing i get every day emails where people are calling me socialist and even though they don't seem exactly clear on what that word means uh and a leftist and a lot more colorful things which which is fine that's that's the way it goes. What bothers me is the notion that we're picking sides. I'm a registered independent. I, I voted for Republicans and Democrats, and and, and, and yes, I do vote. Um, by the way, I know some folks think media shouldn't vote, but I think we should. Um, but the, the, this rise of of this this far right media uh, and the the hunger for it. Uh, I mean, it's you wonder where it comes from. But I get maybe they do feel disenfranchised in some way. I mean, maybe they feel like that that we have not listened to them enough. Uh, it's it, it, it's it's been so abnormal that, that when you just report facts, that it's somehow considered biased. And and and, and people have personal opinions. I'm not going to pretend that bias doesn't exist. But but the trick is, and I think that that most legitimate media do a good job of this. The trip the trick is. To keep the bias at bay and do your job, you know the way the, the way that you're supposed to do it. And I think that, that we, when I say we, I, th- I speak of kind of all legitimate media. We do a pretty good job of that. These right wing media groups, they understand this. They understand what their audience wants. They're really good at knowing what their audience wants and giving it to them. Um, they. I mean, it's in their best interest to sow this this dissension. It's it's in their best interest to prop up these theories that Trump has that that the election was stolen because that's driving audience to them as as more legitimate media kind of moves away from that story and talks more about a legitimate transition. Um, I should say full disclosure. I am also on Parler. Uh, just to uh, – I wanted to see what was going on over there. There's some local newscasters and folks who get on there and do some weird things. And it's really wild. I mean it's, it's, it's sort of exactly what you would think it would be, only more so. Um, and um, I, I think it's going to – it's going to take a lot of work on our part to bring audiences back to reality, uh, whether it's TV, whether it's newspapers, whether it's websites, whether it's radio, uh, if, if it's even possible to do that. I, I hope that it is. But I mean, when you when you pair what we do down to the basics, 
you can pretty much say our job is to tell the truth. When some people deny the truth from top to bottom, that makes that job a lot harder. That said, and I, whenever I talk to any other media people, I ask them, well, what are we supposed to do? You know, we, 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 and the answer basically is just keep doing it. What else can you do? It does seem just the relentless fact checking that has gone on over the last four or five years um, and really has seemed to only amp up over the last maybe year or so. It's done a lot to maybe engage people who weren't otherwise involved in, you know, the news gathering or, you know, business. I mean, it, it certainly seems to have reached new audiences for people who do want facts and um, well thought out material. Um, but it really hasn't done anything to persuade the people who are convinced that their own set of facts or their interpretation of the facts are an accurate reading of it. And that to me, that intersection right there is just the most frustrating part about, I think, what we do is you're not going to convince people with facts. You just got to present the material and just not engage and walk away. I mean, that's that's sort of how I've decided to approach that. I just, I mean, you can't, I think that a sort of an underrated uh horrible thing that happened uh, in this administration for, for media, I mean, not just for media, but for, for everybody, was early on when Kelly Ann Conway coined the term alternative facts, that the president likes alternative facts. There's no such thing. I mean, t- two plus two equals four, and, and two plus two does not equal five. And if you're, it doesn't matter if you're a big fan of five, and it, it doesn't matter if you're, you're running five's campaign. You, you don't get to change what the facts actually are. And I think that that's, you know, it's, it's like they said, some people you just can't reach. But I think we have to keep trying. Uh, I don't know. And, you know, but two plus two is still going to be four. Well, Bill, this is a fact. We are very glad that you took the time to chat with us. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. And we've got to have you back again. Thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks. Love, love the show. <laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's an honor and a thrill to be on it. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. Well, Gaggle listeners, that's all for today. While we still have you, please don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was produced by Katie O'Connell with help from Maritza Dominguez and Taylor Seeley. Thanks so much as always for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.